Welcome back to another episode of Ask Me Being Six. I know it's been a couple of months since we've connected. Uh, a lot has been going on in this community. Harmon, how have you been doing for the past couple months? Enjoying the last embers of summer. Uh, we're expecting a heat wave here in Edmonton, but I know the Sangat has been waiting eagerly for the next episode of Ask Canadian Six. <laughs> yeah, I know. We went on summer hiatus and, and uh, we've gotten dozens. No, we have not gotten dozens of requests to keep going. But for folks who are continuing to listen, we totally appreciate it. Um, before we get into our um, deep topics, I realize since we haven't connected with folks for a few months that it would be a good time to share that uh, the WSO did lose a pillar and a founding member of the World Sick Organization. And I know that that was a little bit more in uh, your guys' area. I um, we, we have a Canadian Sikh MP, George Jahal, and his dad, uh, Sardar Ram Raghubir Singh Jahal, was a founding member of the World Sick Organization, and he did pass away. Um, we do have a tribute to him on our social media platforms, but is there anything that you wanted to just share about um, Ram Raghubir Singh? So Ram Raghbir Singh Jahal was a pillar in the Sikh community in Canada. He was also a pillar in politics in this country. People have known him uh, across uh, this country for his advocacy on behalf of the Sikh community. People might uh, not know, but the one of the big things that he led was the challenge to um, the ban on on soldiers or former soldiers or anybody wearing a Dastar in legions. Um, in this country, and you know, he wasn't um, he wasn't afraid of of speaking out uh, on terms of issues of of accommodation, and you know, it's somebody who, that I've always had a great amount of respect for, um, and and definitely a huge loss to the community. Um, I I had the pleasure of meeting um, you know uh, Jahal Uncle years ago before I was even on the board of the WSO at an event uh, in Calgary and he was such a, a compassionate individual someone who's always encouraging young people to get involved um, and so for that you know we'll always remember him and his contributions as a former president of the WSO as someone who gave so much of his life um, to help uh, the Sikh community and you know to to add to um, you know this country. Yeah, so once again, our condolences to their family, and it's um, it really brings perspective to understand that we are an organization that's been around for, we're now like a whole new generation of folks has taken it over. Um, Sharon Gikor, our vice president, always says we stand on the shoulders of giants. So one of those giants fell, and it's it's really just to take stock of that and to honor his legacy, it was really important. Okay, so uh, this month we are going to touch uh, base, talk about domestic violence. We're going to take a look at the World Sick Organization's work on a beard accommodation for the city of Toronto. <clears throat> we are going to look at what the GOI is up to in terms of foreign interference. While this podcast may have taken a break, they did not. <laughs> they don't take the summer off. And then we'll finish on some points of strength looking at our work around supporting international students and our recently run Sick Youth Leadership Institute. So... The first thing we thought was really important to talk about was um, domestic violence in our community, specifically with reference to Mandeep Gore. 
um, and what had happened. This is a really difficult conversation. If you're listening, please take care of yourself. If you want to jump ahead to where we're not going to be talking about it, that's okay too. It is a very, uh, it's a story about violence and trauma and suicide. Um, yeah, so just, uh, just use your judgment. Um, Harman, what do we know about Mandeep Kaur and, and what was your, like, what's, what struck you when you heard the news that she had died? I know that a lot of people have had a lot of difficulty um, in, you know, kind of seeing and, and watching some of um, what Mandeep Kaur actually posted herself online. Um, you know, she had a lot of courage to, you know, go, go public uh, with what was happening and, and the, the abuse and the violence she was uh, suffering at the hands of her husband. Uh, and it was extremely tragic, um, you know, in terms of, you know what we saw and, and i mean some of those videos we we, we saw a, a man who who was abusing his wife using violence um meanwhile his young daughters were in the other room uh, absolutely crying begging him to stop uh, attacking um their mother um and you know it was, it, it was very very sh shocking to witness because this is happening and i think everybody recognized that this happens in our community behind closed doors and here was a uh, situation where that curtain was pulled aside and we saw the impact of domestic violence um in front of us and accessible online the the heartening thing is that it was it was an opportunity that so many used to really bring attention to the suffering that is happening everywhere in the community and in our own families um, and you know, start to work towards building capacity within our communities to support um, people who are suffering and people who are, are facing these types of situations. Obviously, um, there, with any of these types of situations, you know, there is some problematic pieces. Having Punjabi media platform her abuser um, and allow him to tell his side of the story you don't need to hear his side of the story. It was, I, I turned the video off. I couldn't even watch um, him, you know, justifying what he was doing or him giving his side. We have everything we need to know about uh, what happened. And, you know, I think it was a huge shock for people to actually see this in videos, see her speaking to what happened to her, um, see how his family was complicit in the abuse she suffered and then to understand that he still has custody of those two young um, daughters was extremely disturbing i think when these things happen um you're right having that name and that face makes people have conversations in ways that otherwise we wouldn't been fighting the legal challenge against bill 21 and we actually saw this phenomenon where uh, there was a Muslim hijab wearing teacher who wasn't allowed to teach in Quebec. When her story went public, it reduced support for Bill 21 in Quebec. And this this correlation that you that between like you can understand something in your brain. You can understand that there's injustice against women. And when you have a name and a face and a story in front of you, it hits in such a different way. And it's really unfortunate that her story Mandeep's story is bringing these conversations forward um but also it is we really do need to take 
talk at this moment and really do need to understand that we are having these conversations. And so if you are um, someone who is a survivor or an ally or you are committed to ending this, this is the moment. You have everyone's attention and everyone's listening. Um, so World Sick Organization has worked um, with survivors of domestic abuse for a very long time. Uh, we have the Sick Family Helpline, and I'll share that phone number as well. We have a lot of different things that we can do um, to reach out and support and shout outs to Sick Family Center in the U.S. as well, who is who did a lot to get us up and running and show us how to do this. I'm going to share some action items from the World Sick Organization social media posts. You can check them out. We and every social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, we're at World Sick Org. We had asked that folks be moved by this conversation to actually do something. We have a lot of incredible folks on our team who came up with these calls to action. Um, other thing I'll say before I turn to the calls to action, when things like this happen, it's very easy to say it's because she was a Punjabi woman. It was only part of what happened. Absolutely, Punjabi women, Sikh women, um, Canadian women experience violence differently than women at other intersections. We also have a lot of strength, a lot of gender equity in Sikhi, a lot of non-toxic masculinities in Sikhi. There's so much strength in who we are as a community that we need to make sure that we are sharing both truths. We are responsible for the violence that happens in our community that is a result of our culture and our community dynamics, but also that the solution and the strength is also coming from within our community. Um, it's also really easy to understand that brown women experience violence and just to say, oh, it's because you're Punjabi, it's because you're South Asian, it's because you're this, that, and the other. We are in, women and folks of all genders are impacted not only by the patriarchy of Punjab, but also the patriarchy of Canada. So Canada and the U.S., wherever you are, those countries are not saviors. And they are not exempt from the criticisms that in this time we've been looking inside and looking to our communities we come from historically, but that doesn't excuse communities we are in presently. The biggest example I can give is uh, wealth inequality. So if you are making less money for the same work, that for me is coming from a Canadian context, not from a Punjabi, not from the government of India didn't do that. That is a Canadian system that devalues the work of women. If you financially can't leave a situation that is not because of the patriarchy of the homeland, that is because of the system that you are currently in. We have complicated lives. There is strength in all of our communities and the oppression and the violence comes from relationships and comes from multiple systems including countries that will then posit themselves as the savior. <clears throat> so um, we also said one, so in our post we said um, to make this change, we must have critical conversations about these issues with our youth, elders, peers that challenge the values, norms, and beliefs that allow domestic violence to perpetuate in our community. I guarantee you every single person <clears throat> will have a chance to do this, this action item conversations all the time where you know even if it's something like but why didn't she leave or why is there 
um, there was a recording of a woman who was being abused. If she had time to record, why didn't she have time to leave? Like we get these conversations and each one of those is an opportunity for us to make sure that we respond critically. Number two is to be active bystanders who respect the lived experience of survivors and use a survivor-centric approach to respond to disclosures of domestic violence. We have community institutions. It is on us to build those proper responses to when folks disclose abuse. Um, for number three, um, to uh, facilitate a cultural shift by preventing abuse, through consent, education, and centering survivors as agents of their own healing. I haven't seen a lot of what that language would be around um, consent. And I don't think we have enough modeling of healthy consensual relationships. I know some folks are doing the work and it's incredible. It's always going to be something that I think we can work on as well. Um, so if you do ever, if you're experiencing domestic violence and you need any support, you can Google Sick Family Helpline. Um, this is for Canada, or you can, this is the WSO Helpline, or you can call 1-800-551-9128. And if you are in the U.S., um, there is the Sick Family Center. And you can also um, take, you can just Google Sick Family Center and you can take a look at some of their resources as well. For the US, the helpline number is 866-732-7392. Okay, so uh, moving on to something that is a little bit more strengths-based and actually I'm, I'm gonna say was a, should never have happened, but was a win. WSO, uh, the City of Toronto Beard Accommodation. So Harmon, talk us through this. What was going on? What's the, what was the City of Toronto up to? What were they thinking? Great question. Um, months ago now, earlier, I think this year, security guards had come forward um, to the WSO to express concerns around this issue of masks and the fit, uh, wherein the City of Toronto had hired contractors, security companies, uh, to provide security at certain sites. And one of the requirements was that those employees of those subcontractors needed to be able to wear the um, N95s, um, which wouldn't seal. And they said you needed to actually uh, cut your facial hair. Um, and obviously for uh, six, this presents a massive problem. And when presented and when when asked to provide a suitable accommodation, the city of Toronto failed for months. Um, ultimately, the issue then went public, at which point within hours, the city of Toronto, while initially trying to gaslight um, uh, the victims and then trying to uh, defer to the subcontractors, ultimately then had to take accountability and responsibility when presented with the receipts that it was ultimately a city of Toronto uh, direction. Uh, and they quickly then reversed it with Mayor John Tory doing an immense amount of backtracking, an immense amount of appeasement um, with members of the city community, given the background of an upcoming municipal election. And that pressure you know, immediately of media is what ultimately led John Tory to have to change course and hold the city of Toronto accountable. Um, the mayor, 
you know, despite all of the relationships that might exist, his uh, um, his understanding relationships with people in community, none of that actually achieved this outcome. Media attention did, shaming did, and it's always the last resort. But it worked so effectively in this scenario with it. And it was amazing to watch the press releases come out from the city of Toronto, you know, late into the evening. And you could understand that they were obviously dealing with some crisis communications professionals trying to figure out what to do when they could have just done the right thing from day one, knowing that they have an obligation to accommodate, knowing that the requirement they were putting on these security guards was was absolutely ridiculous, given no one else is being as having that requirement, whether even in a medical um, situation. So you were trying to force security guards to have a higher, uh, you're holding them to a higher standard than anyone else in the province of Ontario. So the fact that you had this double standard, this ridiculous standard for security guards was one thing. And then your failure to accommodate when you have a legal obligation to do so was the second. And then to backtrack so significantly, I give no credit to Mayor John Tory. He was shamed into doing it. He should have just done the right thing right off the bat. I, I'm laughing because it like it's so obvious when you say it. And I and maybe so I'm gonna break it down because maybe if you're not in the like we WSO does the work of workplace accommodations and we understand the layout, especially in a Canadian context. Um and it's so laughable when you understand. So um, we have different, we have the charter, but we also have different provincial um, human rights codes. In, in Ontario, the Ontario Human Rights Code governs everything. It overrides your uh, own policies. Um, and we are not, uh, it's not called freedom of religion. It's a protected ground of creed. So no one can harm your right to your creed. Um, the protected ground of creed includes religion and spirituality. Uh, the test of religion is that it's a sincerely held belief. So you don't need your Granthi or your, uh, you, don't, you don't need Balpur Singh from WSO to sign a letter saying, no, this is my religion. I have to, you know, grow a beard. It's a sincerely held belief. And it is the responsibility of the employer to accommodate to a point of undue hardship. So if we had said to the city of Toronto, no, you have to do this. And it was going to cost them $4 billion, then they could be like, well, it's an undue hardship. We can't actually. Um, but really, all it with very, very few requirements, um, holding them up to industry standards, using their Tata method, like there's a whole bunch of uh, poppers, or it was so easy to accommodate. Um, we are at the we are at a point in the pandemic, in an Ontario context, uh, where the, prov the province's it feels like it's mostly open. There are a few restrictions here and there. I think I just got a notification that the COVID advisory council on federal level is disbanding. Like there are things that we are, we, so this wasn't at the height of the pandemic or this isn't when we don't know what things are. The seal that's required. So what they're saying is you have a beard and your N95 is not right up against your skin. And that's creating a little gap and COVID particles can get in or out. We don't require that level of protection in hospitals. We don't require it from police. We don't require it from anyone except for places where there are aerosol generating procedures. So if you are doing CPR or if they're like, there are very few places where that is even the industry standard. Um, the city of Toronto. So we're talking about anything that the city of Toronto owns. So this could be a 
places like shelters where there are really vulnerable folks. So of course you want to have the strongest rules you can to make sure that city run shelters, that there aren't COVID outbreaks. The industry of security, if you are listening from Toronto, this you I don't need to tell you, if you're listening from outside of Toronto, they're all Punjabi. Every security guard is Punjabi. I'd say most of them are international students or uncles. It, there are security guards everywhere, every grocery store, every place. It's it's such a like manwarigalia that it's an industry that has become dominated by six and especially young sick men. So it disproportionately impacted us. So you might wonder like where does WSO come in to doing accommodations for security guards? Most of them are young Punjabi guys. Most of them are sick. And the ones that had beards, of course, they would come to us. So it doesn't make sense. They weren't asking everyone else to do it. It wasn't the industry standard and it could easily have been accommodated. Um, and yeah, so if you follow WSO accommodations, you probably don't know most of the work we do because we don't talk about it. Sometimes when uh, an employer fixes something, um, I know there's a case with a restaurant that we can't talk about. So like sometimes it'll be part of the settlement. Sure, we'll accommodate the person. Please don't let anyone know that we messed up. So we don't talk about it. Sometimes it gets resolved with a strongly worded letter. So uh, we've had like a principal say to a kid, you can't do this with your karpan. We've had, uh, you can't go swimming with your kara um, for a little girl. That communication solves the issue. And that will always be our first attempt. First attempt will always be, uh, I'd say first, second, third attempt will always be through communication. And most of the time it works. So most of the time you don't actually find out what we did. If we have gone to the media, if we're blowing this up, something's gone wrong. That is the last resort. Uh, we did it with accommodating, uh, with uh, advocating for international students with Alpha College. We did it with RCMP Beard accommodations. We did it with City of Toronto accommodations. It is a last resort. It is disrespectful. It breaks down those relationships. It is never something that we want to do. And as Harmon pointed out, unfortunately, it's so impactful. Our entire team I would say spent two days fielding media calls, interviews. Everyone did what they could. Balpur Singh did the most. He didn't eat or drink. Um, we had such a huge response from Punjabi media, which we always do. They they're always so supportive, and it's such an incredibly important part of the work we do, having community-based media. And then the response from mainstream media was so strong. Everybody wanted to know what was going on. It was so obvious that the city of Toronto was wrong. Um, I know Harmon and I disagree on Mayor John Tory's <laughs> response to this because I think, yeah, he should have, he did the wrong thing and it should have worked through relationship. Uh, but I think once we, you know, pulled that, push that button or pulled that trigger and went the media route and blew everything up, he did do the right thing. And he did come back and he did build relationships. He called Balpri Singh. Um, Balpri Singh is in communication with him now. It, it shouldn't happen again. Shouldn't have got to this point. But I I don't know. Bureaucracies suck. Do I think Antori would have been like in the nitty gritty of all of it? Maybe, maybe not. Do I think he, uh, once it became a media shitstorm, do I think he did the right thing? I think he did. I think we have folks who don't do the right thing, even when it goes to that level. So... I'm not too mad at him. And yeah, I'm framing this as a win. So Harmon, feel free to disagree with me about Tori. I know I, 
we're gonna not be on the same page about this. Well, I knew you were, you were going to uh, come in, so I prefaced most of my comments around John Tory. <laughs> uh, the issue that I had was the initial reaction of the city of Toronto was to blame the subcontractors and not take accountability. That particular communication and response um, was was the was essentially the part that I felt. Um, was disingenuous from the city of Toronto, um, knowing full well that they w were able to control this. And in fact, they put pressure on the subcontractors wherein this was now going to jeopardize contract of those companies and ultimately would have led to loss of jobs um, by, by what the city of Toronto was initially doing. And that was disturbing because ultimately, you know, we're not here to, um, you know, uh, see anybody lose their job you know, we're here to actually help them and be able to continue on the job. Um, and so their for initial attempts were, were disappointing. But yes, ultimately, the city of Toronto gets it right. And the media pressure was intense. Um, whether that came from the anti-mask crowd or was, um, you know, just a very interesting story with masking um, in, in the province of Toronto, or sorry, province of Ontario, I mean, Toronto is all Ontario anyways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the center, we're the center of the universe. That's right. That's right. Um, but the media attention was unprecedented. I, I don't think we've ever seen any story uh, get this much attention, both mainstream and Punjabi media. Totally. This was easily one. And I, I'm still not sure I have an answer as to why. But this was easily one of the stories we got the most media attention all right, so moving over to, uh, yeah, let's keep it in media, but change countries, GOI and how they are working and working through Twitter, working through Vice News. Um, they are not resting. Foreign interference is still strong. Um, as much as I love talking about foreign interference, I, I'll say this every time. I feel like a conspiracy theorist. I feel like I got my yarn and, and I'm like putting it all together. Um, I always find it so validating when there are news stories that actually show that it's not just me with my yarn in my office being like, and the GOI did this and the GOI did that. Uh, so we had a couple of really interesting things come through. And we'll start with Angad Singh from uh, Vice News. So this is a really interesting thing that just happened in the past few years. Angad Singh is an Emmy-nominated journalist from the United States. <clears throat> he um, is he works for Vice News. Vice News has put out some legit stuff, some really good stuff around the farmers' protest. I always find that their not only their stories are are very well written, but used some of their videos and we actually do use their one of their videos to explain the farmers protest i've used one of their videos to explain sick history so they are they are balanced and they have good visuals they have good editing it's just it's just some good stuff uh, check it out if you can so he uh landed in delhi and he was turned around and he was deported um he's made documentaries on the covid crisis and the farmers protest and there isn't a clear reason why he was deported. We haven't, we still haven't gotten information from the Indian government. So what do you, what, what, what stands out to you knowing what you know about like just how media works in India and how treatment of people works? What, is there anything about the story? Are you surprised? Are you not surprised? Yeah, big, big shout out to Vice recently. I mean, they put out some good articles on the exploitation of Punjabi women in Italy and how Punjabi women are being uh, human trafficked through through Europe. But yes, when we come to the story of Angad Singh, I 
no surprise. I thought that his mother's statement on Facebook was so moving. And she recounts the story when she first went to America of seeing a sick boy being deported back to India. And, you know, this generation later seeing her son, an American citizen, um, being deported, you know, or sent back from Delhi uh, back to the U.S. And, but it's the resolve of, of her, her mother. And obviously, Angad Singh, you know, has been raised right. Her statement um, of, you know, I wish you Jardigla, my boy. It's not easy to be a Sikh, a Gursikh on top, a journalist, a warrior of truth and justice. Speaking truth has a price. We must pay it. To me, that says everything about the Sikh spirit. And what we, we learn from the story is that there is a truth. Uh, there is a price to pay for truth. And Angad was telling that truth through media. And we know that there's no space for that in India. So no surprise that he was sent back. Um, and obviously he's on their radar of, of someone who they feel is, is, is an enemy of their state and simply for covering the truth. I think that's, uh, it's really interesting to me who the Indian government has their eye on. A number of folks from WSO, myself included, have traveled to India without incident. Um, and it's, I, I'm almost a little bit offended. I'm like, oh, so I'm not, uh, they don't listen to our podcast, Harmit. They're not worried about us going into India. It's a badge but, of honor, uh, I feel like, for so many, right? I've, I've written Boz News articles, man. And they're just like, yeah, Aja. Um, and they, but Angad was doing good work. That's what that says to me. It says to me he was doing good work. And, um, and I, I mean, he should be able to move freely, but we know that uh, the media record is horrible in India. The media is an extension of the state. It's a, information is very much controlled. Um, and I'm with his mom, like to give Shabash to your kid for being a warrior of truth. Like I was so moved hearing those words. I think, I mean, I want him to know the community is with him and it is a badge of honor to to say you're doing such good work that that you've scared them. They know who you are and you've scared them. Um, another little uh, interesting piece of information that came out, um, this is from writers, there was, uh, in the, the headline reads, India forced Twitter to put agent on payroll, whistleblower says. So someone who worked at um, Twitter, a former security chief, says that the Indian government forced the social media platform to put an Indian government agent on the payroll. So this is um, really interesting. Harman, do you want to share a little bit about um, like what the WSO experience of being on Twitter has been? And then, uh, I mean, I think this just makes, this just kind of was like, a, oh yeah, I can, I understand that they did that. That makes sense. Yeah, I so seeing and experiencing um, tweets being reported, shadow banning, we've seen it across different social media platforms. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, attempts to uh, distract. Again, this for me all goes back to the first Sarbat Khalsa that happened. Um, I I was on Twitter at the time trying to follow along. And this was early days. I mean, very, very early on. Um, and what you saw was a flooding of that hashtag Sarbat Khalsa with all sorts of misinformation. And I just remember being a very young uh, person thinking, 
like, what is this and who is orchestrating this? You know, being naive to a lot of what happens in the world at that time was just like, well, this is this is extremely irritating. And I remember trying to post, you know, because you could see like a live video of what was happening. But the misinformation, you, you quickly understood that there was like an organized attempt to spread misinformation. And now, as we've seen the Indian government become more sophisticated, moving, you know, from the BJP using their bots um, you know, to kind of create and spread misinformation. We've seen that with, with media and what they do. But now to co-opt social media platforms was kind of the the next step. And we, we saw this last year when they started raiding the offices of Twitter to enforce certain censorship, to enforce certain laws, and that they would hold, you know, employees of social media platforms personally accountable if they did not do what the state wanted. So now to hear that there's actually individuals who were placed within those companies um, is no surprise. This is simply a continued extension of the activities of the state throughout what we've seen over the past several years. Um, again, I think people need to be very cautious. We saw people in Punjab be arrested solely for being in WhatsApp chat groups that were titled Khalistan. Um, this is the reality of what's happening. The suppression of speech in India is continuing, and it's something that the rest of the world is not talking about and is not speaking about. And and the space doesn't mean the same thing anymore. So you can make an anti-Indian government statement. I, I think it was like one of our pictures had something in the background or whatever. We've had our taken down and Twitter has let us know it's because we basically like broke a law in India. I'm not remembering the exact wording right now, but GOI is able to tap us, WSO, on the shoulder and say, no, thank you. Even though our tweets, we're sitting in Canada, we're allowed to talk about this stuff in Canada. There's no UAPA in Canada. Um, their reach through Twitter does uh, censor us and has access to us. So the the UAPA, I think we've mentioned it before, the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act, it's exactly what it sounds like. The Unlawful Activities Pre Prevention Act. So to prevent crime from happening, they have used uh, tweets, social media posts, to arrest folks, to shut things down. So the whole idea is I haven't committed a crime yet trying to prevent me from committing a crime and they can look at my social media history and say oh you're on track to do something against the Indian government we're going to stop you because of your social media posts it's completely barbaric it's uh arresting folks on the assumption that they might have done something in the future and to prevent that thing from happening um yeah absolutely India has a lot of power this is this don't let this one slip away um make sure you pay attention to this this is big that they put their own indian government agent on the twitter payroll all right um moving along in foreign interference i mean harman told me about this story so i'm going to throw it back to you to share it i don't even know what to make of this um so like everyone pull out your yarn see if you can follow along Herman, what's going on with Niku? So, Indrajit Niku, many people will remember him. Very distinctive, uh, the star style, the Niku Pag, um, you know, popularized about a decade ago. Someone who inspired a lot of young people to start wearing the stars. Um, you know, I don't, I can't even name a song of Indrajit Niku. But, you know, this video goes viral this week of Niku visiting a pundit um, with 
his sorrows and issues that he's facing, including debt, lack of success from his music. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, once that video goes viral, a lot of people reaching out to support uh, Indrajit Niku, people like Diljit, Runjit Bhava, Shri Brar, a lot of people from the industry saying that, you know, we're here, we're supporting you. Um, good to see. Meanwhile, you saw a lot of people criticizing Niku for, you know, going and seeking out this bandit for um, for blessings or for support. You, you know, and and then the, the opposite reaction of people saying, well, look, he's just so desperate, have some empathy for him. Um, the interesting part to me was, you know, who was this pundit? Uh, who was this that Niku was going to go see? And, you know, what, what you discover when you go look up who this pundit is, is, is the fascinating part. In April of this year, this pundit uh, had gone public with statements that, you know, Hindus needed to unite and they needed to use bulldozers uh, against, you know, the houses of those people who throw stones. And in particular, what he's referencing is um, Muslims. And so this video of this pundit, Darindra Krishna Shastri, um, you know, he was seen inciting Hindus against people of the Muslim faith and asking Hindus to buy bulldozers and take up arms. So these provocative speeches talking about using JCBs, which is like a bulldozer. Um, the interesting part of this is that the bulldozer has become uh, an actual iconic symbol of Hindu nationalism. It's been covered by the Washington Post uh, earlier this year. And what we saw was in New Jersey, during a Independence Day event a few weeks ago, there was a bulldozer in that procession. And so for many, people didn't really understand the significance of a bulldozer in this procession. But it's a symbol where politicians are using it to demolish the home of Muslim activists. And it stems from people like this pundit who are inciting Hindus to take up arms and to crush the houses of anybody who was to criticize them. And so for me, this, this is the fascinating part um, for us here in North America, which is you're now seeing the bulldozer become a symbol in these countries, in North America, um, as a symbol of hate. So very disturbing when you start peeling back the layers of, you know, uh, like Niku, like what motivates Niku to go to this oh, hate um, You know, it, very, very strange, but how they've now co-opted the bulldozer as the symbol um, is quite concerning. Because it's a set, it's a very violent object, you know, to and and to say to people and what they're doing of bulldozing houses with it without any um, issue. I mean, even if there's a suggestion that some Muslim has committed some type of crime, uh, people are bulldozing their home and their shops and their businesses before they even had a chance to defend themselves. It's super super bizarre and um, I you know, I throw in one other entertainment based uh, bizarre thing. The um, I watched Lal Singh Chadda. Have you seen it? I've not seen it yet. Okay, okay. So really interesting. This is I'd like to preface this with this is not an endorsement of this movie. Please decide for yourself if you want to watch it. Um, Amir Khan, I think he makes 
good choices when he creates films. He did. He has now remade Forrest Gump in Hindi. Uh, but the main character, the Forrest Gump character, his name is Lal Singh Chanda. I refuse to watch it. Um, I said I'm I'm done with Bollywood depictions of like sardars that are not super intelligent. I know Forrest Gump's character to to put a it's gonna be a bunch of like oh sardar and the bottom of the gay sardars are stupid kind of jokes. So without even without even giving a chance, I was like, I'm not going to watch it. Got a lot of recommendations to watch it. Went to the theater, watched it. Did not watch it on my IPTV. Actually uh, gave Amir Khan money. Don't know, don't know how much he's going to get from my Tuesday night Plex ticket. So like, let's say I gave Amir Khan 25 cents. I am complicit in the industry, but just so I'm just putting myself out there. Um, it was and then the movie starts says we'd like to thank SGPC and then in the list of people they thank it says we'd like to thank Punjab police and I so already I'm like this is going to be really insulting to Sardars and then I saw SGPC Punjab police on the same list I was like okay this is not a disaster he starts he's this like Siddha Jata guy and it's exactly what you think it's going to be so I'm like oh I'm so over this I hate this depiction already I changed my mind I um I cried. I was so moved. Um, I saw they show. With, I'm not going to do a, a lot of spoilers, but the the setup is the same. If you've seen Forrest Gump, is that his? It's a story of Lal Singh Chadda's life, but it unfolds with historic events in India. Um, they showed him. Uh, he's like, oh, and I I went to uh, see my Masi in Amritsar in 1984, and they show um, the Hindi movie. They show the June attack on Darbar Sahib. And then he's like, oh, my Masi moved to Delhi. So I went to go visit her um, in like at the end of October. And I we went to the prime minister's house and um, they show the, uh, or they depict the assassination of Indira Gandhi. They show real news clips from that time saying that it was because she was responsible for the attack on Darbar Sahib. I have never in my life seen this in a mainstream Hindi movie where they have said Indira Gandhi did this and her death was retaliation for that. They show the pogroms afterwards. They, um, it was really, I wasn't expecting it. I was really moved by it. Um, I also, at the very same time, was so aware that I'm in a movie theater and there are people of every culture from India in this theater with me. And I actually don't know, like I'm sitting here crying and I don't know if the guy behind me is like, well, that's a lie. That never happened that way. Or the six deserve to die because they did this, then the other. Um, it, it was a really bizarre experience. And they showed a lot of other, they showed anti-Muslim hate. They showed a whole bunch of other historic events. And I think everyone in that room at, at some point, their politics must have been brought straight to the forefront but it was really bizarre to have this to be consuming entertainment and to be confronted by all of these things uh, I just it made me think of that when you were when you're talking about Niku and the, the Pandit being a Hindu supremacist and like it's no longer just consuming entertainment when it becomes so overtly political um, but yeah I will leave it up not an endorsement I will leave it up to folks if they're in an emotional place to watch it uh, but for what it's worth, I changed my mind about the movie. Okay, um, any other thoughts on uh, foreign interference uh, before we move on to some of our good news stories? We've got municipal elections coming up. Watch out for the GOI to be involved. Heck yes, yes. If uh, City of Brampton elections are coming up, 
a fascinating time. I no longer technically live in Brampton. In my heart, I do. I just realized, uh, I think like last week, someone asked me who I was voting for and I had to say out loud, oh, I can't vote. I hadn't realized until I said it out loud that I don't live in Brampton anymore because I felt like it was my election and I and I was it like I'm endorsing people I'm doing this I'm doing that. Um, yeah, if you're in Brampton, I'm sure the government of India is watching. Uh, make thoughtful choices. Check out the candidates. Check out their histories. Vote for someone who aligns with what you believe in. All right. Um, so we'll finish off with two uh, good news stories. One is we had our Sikh Youth Leadership Institute, uh, commonly known as SILI, which is a once a year event that we host in Ottawa. We haven't hosted it in person in a couple of years, so this was really exciting. It's If you are thinking of applying for next year, follow us on all of our social media. When applications open, we post. It's a fully funded trip to Ottawa, and you get to spend a few days with the folks at WSO. You get to learn how we do what we do, and you get to hear from across the political spectrum and some really great things. Our silly alumni, uh, because it's a really, it's a competitive program. Uh, we get a lot of applications and we sort through them. And, and we know folks who have a really good history with the community are the ones that get flown out to Ottawa to get this training. Um, our silly alumni are the strength of our community. And they're just an incredible group of people who um, we then know are are equipped to, to do the work of social justice. Some of them, and I mean, if not directly with WSO, some of them do end up staying uh, on board and working with WSO, but in, in multiple capacities go on to be incredible contributors to the community. So congratulations to all the organizers within WSO who put together this year's Sick Youth Leadership Institute. A lot of hard work went into that. And congratulations to the alumni. We are all excited to see what you do moving forward. And then the last thing is uh, we do one of our five buckets of work is international student support. We had uh, Sheridan College hosted a two-day summit, and they had all of these roundtables, one-on-one conversations, roundtables leading up to the community summit. WSO was listed as a I I can't remember the word now. It's not co-host, but we were we we were listed as one of the folks that helped um, support putting on the summit, and it was two days of really incredible conversations. And a charter is going to come out of it so that we can do better by international students. I think there was a lot of acceptance that we have exploited them and have not done right by them. World Sick Organization was never supposed to do the work of supporting international students. It was always supposed to be the responsibility of the colleges. We took on this work because no one was doing it. Uh, a huge thank you to Jasper Singh, who is one of our uh, Ontario board members. He was an international student, uh, and at the time that he came to us, he brought their voices to us. He organized everyone, and because there was this gap in services, we ended up taking on the work of doing that advocacy. Um, we are ready to give it back to the colleges. So the summit was encouraging, and there was actually a young man who spoke at the very end, and he's a friend of Jaspreet Singh's, and he told this beautiful story about himself and being from Punjab and being from Amritsar, and it, it just, it was so poetic, and 
Um, he talked about how hard it was. He uprooted his life. He remade his life. And then he had to move again to rural Ontario. You have to have a job in your field to get your PR. So you can't just hang around Brampton. A lot of folks have to uproot their lives again. And his only wish was that he never have to, uh, that no one else from his band would have to go through what he went through. And I think that that's, I can't, I can't say it any better than he does. I think every international student that we have advocated for, like Sadi Ehir Dasya, that we never have to do this work again, that we never have to go to the media about a college not giving seats to people properly, that we never have to uh, work for that person who spilled boiling hot oil on their foot, getting paid cash, and now they can't walk. We never have to <clears throat> find housing for someone who had to leave in the middle of the night. All of the things that we've been working on as WSO, I really, I'm, I'm optimistic. All of the folks who were at that summit were there with the right intentions and they have my buy-in, whatever the charter is, we'll share the charter when it comes out and whatever um, action items are on there, we'll continue to work on those. So that wraps us up for this month. Um, thank you for your faith in us. If you're listening to this, that means you believed that we would put out another episode will be back in a month and we will uh, hopefully everything will be uh chill and we'll have nothing to report and it'll be a super short podcast but if there is controversy in the month Harmon and i will be here to give you or even in canada we'll be here to give you a sick canadian perspective on it if you are not already following us on social media please do so if you think anything you heard was worth supporting Beard Accommodations, International Student Support, Sick Youth Leadership Institute, Working with Survivors of Domestic Violence, Fighting Foreign Interference. If any of that feels good to you, please consider donating. We are an entirely community-funded organization. We are fighting people like the government of Quebec. The legal challenge against Bill 21 says WSO versus Quebec. So um, we're up against the GOI has endless money we're up against Quebec have endless money and we are entirely funded by the community please consider joining our Dessant program or making a one-time donation until we meet again next month stay safe